There's a saying that failure to plan is planning to fail. That's true, but failure to review is failure to learn. Learn the lessons so you don't have to repeat the painful things. And indeed, so you don't forget the things that works really, really well. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. Smart e-commerce operators know that net profit is the lifeblood of a business. The Profit Habits Workbook by Jason Miles gives you 17 specific proven profit-taking actions. For a limited time, we are sharing this valuable resource with our listeners completely free. Just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. That's theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to The E-Commerce Leader. We are in the middle of nine vital questions for your end of year review in e-commerce business. We are dealing today with numbers four through till nine. It's a great time of year to review what just happened in the last quarter and indeed the last year. It's incredibly powerful and worth doing in a structured way. Hence today's episode. We hope you enjoy it. Number four on our list, how effective were our marketing and advertising strategies and what changes should we make for the upcoming year? Man, this is probably one of the absolute most difficult parts of an e-commerce business to manage and to get right. You know, you've got a few parts of an e-commerce business, sourcing product and staffing, you know, facilities issues, but where to spend your advertising dollars and how best to do that, who to use as an agency. These are all very difficult questions sometimes, and they can be frustrating when things aren't going well or that you feel like things could be going better, but it's really vital to just ask this question. Do you find that in this area of business, people don't seem to have their bearings very well. Like they don't have sea legs around this. Like I'll, I'll work, sometimes I'll work with clients and they'll say, it's just not working. It's just not working. You know, we're spending so much money. And then, but then you actually look at the detail of the data with them and you're like, this is actually working great. You guys, what are you talking about? Well, it doesn't feel like it's working, you know? So a lot of times we'll have this perception that doesn't meet reality or where it is effective, it's just too small for it to really, really move the needle in the way you wanted it to. And so there are complicated questions around this whole marketing effectiveness question, including just total spend, you know? Well, you spent X amount last year, how much are you gonna spend this coming year? And these sometimes are emotional decisions, not direct response marketing data-driven decisions for some weird reason in this area. So what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think you're so right about the, the gut feeling being often just out. I'm not saying feeling and intuition aren't important for entrepreneurs, they're incredibly important, but they must be guided by, I think not driven by data in the sense that you should be driven by your mission. If you have one, if you don't, frankly, you know, it's just so much harder to run a business that you don't care about it. I've not seen anyone really succeed at that. So you'd be driven by your mission, but then guided by the data. And what I mean by that is, so your mission is to become the, the most well-known, you know, 
entertaining cup brand or mug brand on Amazon. Okay, well, does the data say that you've sold the most in your category and who you're defining as your competition and how are you defining your market? And once you've done that, you can answer the question, are we the, you know, the most dominant entertaining mug brand on Amazon? Yes or no. And if not, then, you know, who is and what can we do to knock them off their perch? That kind of question. So you need to make these things concrete and measurable. And once you do, then the the good side of that i would say is that it's it stops that kind of terrible what's the word feeling that something's not right you can put your finger on what's not right but equally as you say you go oh actually that worked much better and so it's a great mental clarifier and sort of helps you put your feet on the ground to put your you know your sea legs metaphor it, it kind of means you stop you know pitching around with the ship and go okay i can stand in one place and, and feel like i'm in control of this vessel and so it's a very reassuring process, I think, but it does mean digging into the data and having somebody on your team who can do that and make sense of all the massive amount of data we get, which is the big problem with digital yeah. marketing, right? Too many numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too many choices and in yes. too too many kind of hard hard to understand options and you know, oppor opportunities. Yeah. Okay, one let's move on. I think that. this one's. Oh, go ahead. Let's Sorry, wrap I was just that one say up. One thing that, um, there is a. I can't remember here. Is one of my agency owners who. Uh, one of my guests on the podcast, I should say, who built an agency and sold it, said something very good about KPIs. He said something like, you should probably have one major KPI per person on your team. So if you're a solopreneur, again, don't kill yourself with 10, 20 different metrics, which theoretically would be great if you had more brain power spare or a team. Try and keep it simple. Like, for example, what's your advertising as a percentage of your revenue this year? If you don't know that number, a lot of people don't know buy product line make sure you know that and then keep an eye on that number and that in itself will just help to give you a little bit of solid ground so on our list number five is operational efficiency this is a great question because oh so the question is where did we experience bottlenecks in our operations and what steps can we take to streamline the process i would also say where was our business inefficient financially and what steps can we take to make it more financially, you know, efficient? The uh, the truth of it is, businesses seem to attract expenses, and then somehow they're stuck in, like glued on. They like become like a part of the, like you know, part of the deal. It's like all these expenses seem to accumulate, and the opportunity for many many people to be profitable really actually doesn't come down to making more sales or even getting more margin in their product. The opportunity comes down to looking at where are you blowing money and stop doing that. And businesses, I mean, you'd be surprised how much money is literally, you know, you're, you're making money and it's going out to other, other businesses, other people. It's like your business isn't not profitable. It's just not you that's getting profit like many other people are getting your profit, you know? And so I think that's, this is a really key one to me is like at the end of the year, like what did our P&Ls tell us about all the expense in the business? And, and they're, in, in classic business terms, there's something called zero-based budgeting where every year you start with literally no expense dollars and every single expense has to be justified by somebody like, do you really have to spend that money? Yes, here's why. And that exercise of zero-based budgeting is the goal of it is to get you optimally financial. Um, and I think this is just a key part of business success 
that many yeah. people overlook. I couldn't Great agree thoughts. more with this. I, I, I don't know anyone who hasn't in you know, e-commerce spent a ton of money on services and products and things that yeah, end up to pretty much equal their gross profit margin, which is to say their overheads get so bloated that they end up with almost nothing for themselves. And as you say, somebody's making your money. So a couple of extremely simple tactical stuff that can arise from these insights. Number one is if your overheads for software are becoming excessive. Here's what a friend of mine has done for years now, very experienced Amazon seller, multiple seven figure seller. And he basically uses a credit card for every single software uh, package. And I think every six months, which is pretty brutal, once a year, if you want to be less kind of scary, he basically cancels the credit card. And then you get a flood of emails from those people offering deals sometimes, but often saying, oh, come back. We're about to, you know, wipe out your account and all the data. And then you have to make a choice. You haven't, you've given yourself no choice, but to say, do I really need this? And often the answer is no. And so he's forced a situation where he has to start from zero every six months or so. It's brutal, but I kind of like the fact that he's got the zero-based budgeting theory and made it extremely actionable. And for a solopreneur, that's yeah. not a bad way to go. So that's one yeah. thought. The other one is Amazon. If you sell on Amazon, Amazon loves to take chunks out of your profit margin. And if you end up with, say, five, six, seven percent pre-tax profit margin, that is to say operating margin, assuming you haven't got a ton of debt, Guess what? If it takes two or three percent extra, that's half your profits in some cases. So, you know, those little things where they reclassify your products incorrectly and they take 15 percent instead of 13 percent or whatever, they really, really, really keep worth keeping an eye on. If you don't have the kind of mind that works that way, I think you need to get somebody in who does every so often to kind of service the business. And, and once a year is not mm -hmm. a bad rhythm for that as well. Yeah, I'll just tell you one other little anecdote. We had a client this last week that said that um, they have an agency that runs their advertising for part of their business. And if you ask an ad agency if they need more ad spend, you know, more dollars to spend, it's like asking an insurance man whether if you need more insurance. It's like the, the answer is always going to be yes. So over the course of time, that had happened with this business. But the owners got to the point where they're like, this is just too much. And, you know, it doesn't feel like as a percentage it's right. So they did a pretty drastic cutback on the spend. And told the team, hey, focus on, you know, optimization for, you know, for the best products and be less exploratory in your advertising and, you know, many things. And they came back and said, guess what happened? Our sales didn't go down at all. And so all those dollars, and it was a lot of money, all those dollars dropped straight to the bottom line, to the profitability of the business. You know, it's like giving yourself a huge raise. And so, you know, these are the kinds of things that happen inside a business. So operational efficiency is so important in the marketing area in particular. One so, more story yeah. like that. Again, I seem to be coming up with rather drastic solutions today. So I'm not saying you should do this at home, folks, but it is an option or you can do a version of this, a mental game version of this. One of my biggest sellers in the mastermind a few years ago simply turned all their ads off for all their products at one point, noted which products went down in sales and which didn't put the ads back on for those which did drop in sales and, and again it, in a less in <laughs> more nuclear way than your clients did discovered which products didn't need the ad spend and thus again you know that profit dropped, dropped straight that yep. numbers dropped straight to the bottom line so whichever yep. way you do it in a slightly more measured way or in a drastic experiment it is important to, to figure that out because yeah as you say some things don't need the ad dollars and uh, that's you giving money yep. to the ad platform that you could keep for yep. yourself one other just area of emphasis for this one that we find ourselves in over the years we found ourselves in this situation repeatedly is area 
of expense related to facilities and office space and asking the hard question, you know, do how much office space do we need? Could we do this whole business from our home? We've gone back and forth. You know, we were tenants for five years at a space. First, we were in our home for many years. Then we were in a space for five years as a, you know, leased space. Then we bought our own building, sold our own business. And we were back, uh, you know, in a leased space. We've gone back and forth all the time, but the, the underlying question is, what is the optimal or what you could say minimal space necessary or most inexpensive space necessary to run your business? Because it's, a, again, one of those vanity things, almost like revenue, like, oh, you have a beautiful office. Like, that's cool. Would you have $4,000 a month in your pocket, though, for <laughs> that office? Like, well, now that you mention it that way. You know, so this is the hard question, but it, it's almost one of those days where it's like, do you want to look good or do you want to be frugal and yeah. actually, you know, do well? And yeah. uh, so that's a big one as you get bigger, you know, as you get into the six and you know, high six and seven figure area and beyond. Uh oh, you're muted. Looks like my microphone's done funny things. Let me just double check. I've got it on. Yeah, you're on now. Hang on. There you go. My mic out. Right. You have to edit that bit out. So a couple of things. Frugality, I think, is really, really important when you're dealing with physical products. I don't know if Jeff Bezos was personally frugal or not. He did work on Wall Street before Amazon, so he probably had quite a good expense accounts, you know, personally. But in e-commerce, you have to be frugal. And to your point, I think if you're not, you will sooner or later regret the offices or the whatever else you've been spending on. One thing I've, I know we're working on the financial efficiency thing. I do want to come back to the operations bottlenecks because that makes me think, Jason, of one of your favorite books, The Goal by Goldrap, which I wax lyrical about enough to get one of my my mums to read it, who also really is a convert now. And I think if you yeah. are willing to look at the whole process from beginning to end of your supply chain, including any bits outsourced to whoever, Amazon, and mm -hmm. figure out where the bottlenecks are and work on those in a very structured way, in a very focused way, you can really, really improve the throughput of your business and thus really cash flow, turnover, all the good things in a relatively straightforward way in the sense that you know where to focus your energy. But it does take a lot of diligence to find it, I would say. Yeah, that book's the Goal by Eliyahu Goldrate, a business classic, but you should read it. It's an allegory type book, you know, a little, there's a little narrative story, uh, but it asks vital, vital questions that we've talked about before in the podcast. So yeah, that's a great point. Okay, let's move on. So, so the sixth question um, is the customer experience. How can we enhance the customer experience to improve satisfaction and loyalty? Man, this is such an important question to ask yourself. We have one client where, you know, we're debating the merits of free shipping site-wide internationally. And, and, you know, the truth is that's what the, the competitors do. And so, you know, it's almost like, well, if the competitors do it and you don't do it, then you're at a real, real structural disadvantage. And so, you know, what do customers expect? Obviously, we're all competing in a way against Amazon. And they're one-click purchase, and they're you know one or two-day delivery frequently, sometimes a few hours of delivery time, and that's just the reality of it. So customers expect more and more every year. 
for cheaper and cheaper, ideally. And, you know, how can we meet those, you know, questions or desires on their, their part? And if there are things that we know to be true about customer expectation that we've been delaying or dawdling about not, you know, resolving, the question is why, and then how can we get that resolved for the new year ahead? So we have a clean year of the new exciting benefit to customers and, you know, we can say, okay, that's when we started. We started January 1st and uh, this was a change and let's see how it makes a difference in our business. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think this is really important. And I think equally important is really linked with the previous question, the operational efficiency question. If you are more efficient than your competition and you offer the same kind of thing, you're both, for example, offering free shipping for, let's say it's a similar side product, you know, using similar shipping channels, your costs are going to be about the same. But if your back end is more efficient, so you maybe you turn your cash over quicker because of how you source your products or you've culled the products that don't sell very often and thus your cash flow is better or you sell higher product um, profit margin products, then you are going to over time beat your competition, I would say. Well, certainly you're going to end up with a bigger cash pile with which to fight them in advertising and in other ways. So I would say it's very important to ally those two things together because if your marketing department gets detached from your financial department and starts offering free shipping to everywhere and you haven't gained that money back somewhere in the system by efficiencies, then you will make a lot of sales, but you may have wiped your profit out and that's quite yeah. often the case. So you've really got to... Yeah. Get those the marketing and the financial departments and off marketing operations absolutely hand in glove. I think yeah, that's the key totally. thing. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the next one, which is financial health. What does our financial performance tell us about our pricing strategy, cost management, and overall profitability of the business? And so this is sort of the big picture snapshot. You know, do you have your uh, P and L finished for the full year? Usually at this time of the year, it's like in the last month of the year, it's like it's not done yet, but you pretty well know where things are going to shake out. You've got, you know, 11 of the 12 months done in QuickBook, whatever, and you can pretty much forecast what the last few weeks are going to be. So, you know, the financial snapshot, and it's really vital to look at that. And, you know, a lot of times people are so slammed in Q4. It's like, I don't have time to update all my QuickBooks entries or, you know, I, I've got expenses uncategorized and I can't read it because it's not clear. Now's the time to get very, very clear on how things have gone. And I would just say the financial health of the business and knowing how financially healthy it is, is also indicative of whether you have as your personal ability to operate the business time, freedom, and the ability to, to focus on such things, you know, if you're running around like crazy and you don't have time to focus on the high level financial overview of the business, that's indicative of a different issue. And so I think this is a really key one, the perfect time of the year and the you know, business cycles to ask these kinds of questions. Is our pricing right? Is our cost management right on the, you know, side and overall profitability? Like one little example you know, we had a client who probably in the fall started to say, you know, inflation's going up so crazy. We've raised our prices before. It's never hurt us. Let's raise our prices some more. And then then not long ago, we were having a conversation. They said, sales are just horrible. Sales are bad. Sales are down. 
we don't know why those are so off. And I, they didn't even remember that they had raised their prices, you know? So like, Hey, you guys, didn't you raise your prices a few months back? Like, Oh my gosh, we totally did. So we looked and some of their products were like, you know, because they did it like as percentages or whatever, but some of their key products were like $41, you know, instead of $39 or, you know, that kind of thing where it was like, they didn't even make charm pricing make sense which is a very, you know, a, a well-worn known psychological thing about pricing is charm pricing prices it in a nine or like right under the round number of a big, you know, 40, 50, $60 price point of smarter people will buy them more frequently. So anyway, so, you know, they just had not done that and it impacted them and the, the health of their business. And so, Years a perfect time to say, okay, wait, when did we raise our prices? When did we make a change to our shipping policy? When did we change our return policy? You know, what were the deal things that we maybe even haven't remembered that we want to layer over the top of this review of our finances and really get clear on, you know, what we've done to improve overall health or damage it? You know, and how can we remedy it? So, what are your thoughts? So uh, a few things. First of all, it's a really boring, boring thing, but everyone has gone and done this wrong at some point and then regretted it. Track everything. Track your price changes. In fact, uh, I had a business coach, Dan Bradbury, said for every action, you have an equal and opposite measurement. And again, if you're not that kind of person, make sure somebody in the organization is, right? A really nerdy person because you won't remember what you changed and some systems will track certain things amazon for example will track so much data for you you forget it doesn't really track price changes for you so you have to just run a spreadsheet and or whatever your way of doing it is some more sophisticated if you wish to but that's really important otherwise you can't see cause and effect relationships to your point and jason absolutely classic example you just forget why would you remember so just don't expect yourself second thing just just a reflection on what profit and loss shows it's a high level uh, document, but one thing I think it does show if your profit is very small, particularly gross profit, I think that's more of an indication in most businesses of, of things like profit market fit, marketing, positioning, brand strength. If you've got really thin margins and you tell yourself you've got a really strong brand, I don't think those things go together. I mean, if you look at really, really, really strong consumer brand companies, they tend to have fatter margins than their industry average. It's all relative to your industry. But if you have, you know, 5% um, operating margin and, you know, the best people in your industry have 10%, you got to ask yourself, you know, got to ask yourself one question as <laughs> Dirty Harry said, you know, have you really got a strong brand? Because if you have, to your point, Jason, even the name of your book, you should have pricing power. And that should mean you have bigger margins. And if you don't, it, it's a sort of crude indication that you need to revisit your branding, I think. Mm. Yeah, totally right. Dirty Harry's question was what? Do you feel lucky punk? Do you feel lucky um, punk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just got one question for right. you. Yeah. But Thank this you. is a slightly less aggressive question. The, the final yes. thing I would say is financial health. Profit and loss is really, really important. Obviously, you're going to sell your mm -hmm. company as a multiple of, of uh, operational profits, more or less, right? With some mm -hmm. EBITDA or whatever. But cash flow is everything. In, don't forget how wildly different those numbers can be when you're running a physical product business if you're importing from abroad, as many of us do or have done. You really need to be clear about the fact that just because you made a profit on paper, if you're running you know, accrual accounting, doesn't mean you're not going to run out of cash 
you know, at some mm-hmm. point soon. So make sure again, talk to your accountant and make sure you got enough cash in the bank for the upcoming expenses. It's less of a danger after Q4 than it is coming into Q4 money that you run out of cash. But but January can be a bit of a, a low cash flow month as well. So you just got to be aware of that. That's so great. Yeah, it's very, very, I think, important to understand the differences, the nuances there in accrual-based accounting. Yeah. So, okay, that's uh, let's go on to number eight, which is technology and innovation. Are we leveraging the latest technology effectively? And are there new innovations we could be considering? So you mentioned TikTok earlier. Obviously, on the Shopify side of things, it's very common for stores to get to a point where they're relatively effective and their conversion rates working and their sales are working. And they kind of get real comfortable with the tech stack that they have used to build that system. And it can be very, very um, easy to just sort of neglect this question of what new tech is out there that could help enhance our business even further. And so that's one of the things good coach can do for you because you can see across a lot of different Shopify businesses. You know, I think last month, Kyle and I's, uh, you know, the businesses that we manage in totality uh, had about $550,000 of revenue last month. So we get to look across, uh, you know, businesses that are are doing well and then ask the question, does this one have this technology installed? Does that one have this, you know, app that we're using uh, over here and get to do that conversation across multiple businesses? And I think that's one of the biggest benefits of having a Shopify coach, if I'm being honest, is that ability for the coach to tell you, hey, there's something you haven't used here that I know works some other stores. And let me talk to you about how it works and what it does and all that. So I think this whole review of technology is really vital. And maybe Q4 is not the time to do it because sales are just, you know, hot and heavy, ideally. But maybe early in the year, you've just put it on your calendar. Hey, I'm going to look at all of my apps. Are doing well? Are there other competitors out there? Are there other apps that I'm not even using? And um, go down that rabbit hole a little bit. I think it's well, well... Um, you know, it'll well serve the business owner to do that, especially on Shopify. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. And of course, on Shopify, you got more of a tech stack, although you end up with quite a lot of of software you can end up paying for on on the Amazon side. I would say culling it before you add is is an important one because you'll if you review the technology part of it is, you know, are we leveraging any of our technology effectively often the answer is actually no we're paying for this subscription we use it once a year and we don't need it and then once you've freed that cash up you can then go shopping for something that works i would say the biggest missed opportunities for me in the amazon selling space if you're very focused on that as a platform are repricing which can be done using software and i'd say that they the software is getting more sophisticated these days it's worth investigating and the other one is external traffic. Again, the, the the new old thing is email. It's always been effective. I know you're a big fan of email marketing, as am I, and it's still the better uh, return on investment of anything out there. But quite often people use pretty ineffective systems for email because they're comfortable with them. I would urge anyone to look at things that are e-commerce specific, such as Clavio. I'm not saying it will be the right decision for your business. I'm not a Clavio uh, affiliate, but... You know, that's the sort of thing where the functionality of the software, if you're digging deep into a particular marketing uh, channel, yeah. you know, it can be limiting to you and that can really unlock things if you get the right tool for the job. That's totally right. And actually, email marketing is a good example because, as you know, probably as well as I do, the uh, the 
email marketing service providers tend to build a system and then it becomes brutalized or, you know, in, entrenched in it, how it works. And, you know, people who used AWeber a long, long time ago or, or you know, a cohort of people and then, then, you know, constant contact came out and like, wow, they're better because they have these things. And then MailChimp came out and like, they're, they're better. They integrate with Shopify and then, you know, Klaviyo's come out and, you know, on and on and on. And so th- these sometimes these products do iterate and improve against their competition and the competition technically cannot because of the way it's built and structured just can't they're not nimble sometimes they're brittle and so uh, it is always good the other thing that does happen on shopify as well just as a final thought on this is shopify is notorious for seeing what's working in the app stores and just building it into functionality or making their own apps that are free versions of you know apps that people have been paying for and so shopify will do that and so you want to look to see hey am i paying for something right now that's actually available for free somewhere else and so that's an important consideration on the tech stack side okay let's move on to the ninth question and that is growth opportunities what new markets or customer segments can we target year ahead and what new products or services should we consider introducing i i love this question because it unlocks the opportunity for incremental improvement in your you know business top line revenue the you could also ask to as we've been mentioning throughout this conversation what could you call and say we're not doing this one anymore we're done with this but this is more aspirational you know what could you add to the party to serve customers better new products or to serve new customers in uh, effective ways. So this is a great question. I think it's vital. I, I do think that sometimes the entrepreneurially minded people will run to this question and do half a backflip before they've mastered the, you know, the backflip they're currently doing. And so you have to be careful of that. If you're running away from your problems because what you're trying to do got hard and now you want to go find a new product and a new customer base that can be a recipe for disaster because then you'll have two half uh implemented you know products or services so that's never a good thing to do but ideally if you've got something working really well and the system is down and you can add something new to it it's complementary then your business is going to be better off for it so what are your thoughts yeah definitely it's good, but also the danger, you're absolutely right. Half a backflip. I like that image. It sounds painful. A lot of people do that. I, I would urge everyone listening to do the basics first, get solid, you know, nail it, then scale it is the classic advice. And I really like that because I think if you've got your systems honed to be a fine-tuned, you know, product market fit, you know what your customers think, you've done all the stuff we talked about with operational efficiency, financial efficiency, then, you know, growing that is a great thing to grow. Whereas if you add, you know, products to an otherwise struggling business, it's just going to struggle more. (laughs) It's just not a good plan. Um, I would say once you've got this cracked, a differentiation for me between products and customer segments adding new products is the predictable path for an established e-commerce business to grow revenue that's what i've seen people do people who've grown businesses from low seven figures to high eight figures which i've seen a couple of times just added lots and lots of product lines but big big caveat they added it within the same customer segment so they didn't go outside who they were aiming at the people they were aiming at were fundamentally the same they just offered them more and more variety more and more products you know some higher end some lower end 
And I think that's really important. I would be really slow to change customers. And I say this because I've seen quite a lot that people start going, the grass must be greener over that side. And I'm going to stop serving, you know, 50 year old women and start serving 25 year old Mm -hmm. men that go to gyms or something. And my response is, well, you know nothing about that market yet. And Mm -hmm. you haven't probably, probably mined this market over here yet, unless you got to at least, you know, eight figures. I think in most cases, I would say, particularly if you're selling in the States, there's so much more to come out of most markets than most people think. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Well, this has been a great conversation. I think this list will serve anybody well, regardless of the time of year you're listening to it and give you an opportunity to really evaluate how they're going in your business and how you can tune things up. Uh, Any final comments? And I might make a a final comment as well. No, this is a great list. I like it. I I think even having the intention, even putting something in the diary where you take time to do this and then reflect on it with your team is going to automatically make you a better, better business person than you were. And then if you've got any kind of list like this, I think it's a perfectly valid list. Just having a structured process will automatically make better things so much better. It's a powerful process to, to get into the habit of. Yeah, I totally agree. The final commentary on my side, I guess, would be that I've seen quite a few clients and have worked with clients who have come to the end of their business and have realized, oh, okay, I think, you know, I'm, it's time for me to sell this or, you know, I'm, 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 I want to be done. I would say that the year-end planning is a perfect time to, if you're in that state, really, really take the time to look at the situation. And rather than doing it out of a desperation, where you're like, I'm exhausted, I'm shutting this down, or I I just can't go on, really do it out of a point of uh, aspirational planning and ask the question, how can I prep my business to sell it? Because if there's one thing that's true about e-commerce businesses is they are sellable and there is a market for businesses, but it's one of those deals where it's kind of like, it's your car, it's your house. And if you want to sell it, you can take it down to the automotive dealer and they'll give you $500 for it as a trade-in, uh, or you can really get it, you know, looking beautiful and do everything you can to shampoo the carpets and, you know, paint and whatever you, whatever the metaphor would be to get the thing really, really optimally arranged for selling it. Usually that means maximizing your, you know, profitability. So it's a perfect time of year to do that because sometimes you say, well, this is, I'm exhausted and this isn't going well, but it's not profitable. Well, maybe it'll take you six months or a year to get it really profitable if that's your intention. And you can really be hard nosed about it and say to yourself, I'm going to make this thing as profitable as possible. And then I'm going to sell it and I'm going to let the chips fall there where they may, because I'm ready to be done. That is so much more logical approach than just letting it run into the ground or getting to the point where you're too tired to even make those types of business decisions. And so if you're in that situation, I would just encourage you to use this list, take a quick break and under the universe and get yourself ready to you know, exit your business with success rather than uh, exit it with failure. I was honored this year to work with someone who sold their business for $1.5 million. And that was super cool. I also worked with somebody-ish who was a client and then, you know, kind of helped who just wound their business down and didn't sell it. They thought they had it sold and it didn't go. And that's sort of sad 
to see play out. So I guess that's top of mind for me as we go through this list. So anyway, hopefully that's helpful. I don't, Michael, if that spurs any final thought before we wrap up, feel free. But. Yeah, I would say uh, there's a giant transfer of wealth happening, particularly in America, between the baby boomer generation and whoever else buys their businesses if they buy them. But most, well, many people's plan, to your point, Jason, for ending their businesses, just shut it down. And in general, that feels to me colossally wasteful of all the good things they built, the the products, the the services, the brand, the communities of people they've served. So absolutely thinking about how you can possibly transfer even parts of your business. You can even sell individual Amazon listings. I've seen it done. I mean, so there's always something you can salvage as well as the other thing I would say. Don't be perfectionist. If the whole business isn't great and sellable, sell parts of it. There's always deals to be done. Totally agree. Okay, hopefully that's helpful for those of you in that situation. And uh, Michael, as always, it's an uh, honor to be able to chat about such things. I do hope that everyone has an absolutely fantastic year ahead in their business. And we do wish our listeners the absolute best of success. Hopefully this show has been part of that. And we're really grateful for your, your listening. And we'd love your highest and best review and whatever you know tools you use to listen to the podcast. That's very helpful as always. And uh, we really hope that you have a great year end. Michael, thank you for a wonderful year this year podcasting. It's been really cool. Final yeah. thing I should probably just pop in there just in case, particularly if you're listening to this uh, after the Q4 Madness has gone and you've got a bit of time to reflect and you think you could do with some help from either of us. If you want to get an audit on your Amazon focused business or your Amazon sales channel side of your business, you can get it from me at myamazonaudit.com. And if you want a free Shopify site audit and a very comprehensive view of multi-channel selling, you can get help from Jason and Kyle over at omnirocket.com. Smart e-commerce operators know that net profit is the lifeblood of a business. The Profit Habits Workbook by Jason Miles gives you 17 specific proven profit-taking actions. For a limited time, we are sharing this valuable resource with our listeners completely free. Just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. That's theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits.